0: Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, we're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew, and of course, remember, Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. That's important. You've got to remember, Matthew presents Jesus as the king, Mark presents him as the servant, Luke presents him as a man, and John presents him as God. So there's a reason that we keep saying Matthew presents him as the king, and we're going to see it as we go through it. We've already seen, first of all, he gives the background. At the very beginning of the book, he showed that he was a descendant of Abraham and a descendant of David. Then we saw the platform of the king, which was the Sermon on the Mount, which was chapters 5, 6, and 7. And now we're looking at the power of the king. In chapters 8, 9, and 10, we see a lot of miracles. Jesus does all kind of miracles and signs. He shows his power over nature and disease and death and demons and everything else. And he's showing it to show who he is, that he's the Messiah and he's the king of the Jews. In this passage this morning, there's there's a neat thing. First of all, we're going to see the call of the apostles. We're going to talk about the difference between being an apostle and being a disciple. We'll see that. And Jesus sends them out. And then we see the responsibility, what they were supposed to do. And I can't always see everything. They're, they would go to the nation of Israel. Now, as we look at this passage, you realize we have a responsibility. That now, as the church, as the body of Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. We get to go into our community with the message of Jesus Christ. And you know what's so amazing? I mean, we have a website. And we, I mean, it goes all over the world. We we get letters from, I'm not just exaggerating, we get people people almost every week from all over the world who go to our website and listen to our stuff and and understand the truths about salvation so whenever you give it's not just what we do right here it goes all over the world well this morning we're going to see what happens when Jesus sends out the apostles and we'll see how that is let me ask you a question have you ever tried to witness to a Jewish person to a person who is Jewish who is not a believer put it that way before I went to seminary, most of you know, I coached at Mississippi State. And while I was there, I actually met this guy. His name was Abishai Ben Parai. His name means a son of a fruitful vine. And he was a Jewish guy, and he was on campus, and he was learning, his wife. Somehow, I got to know them, and they invited me to come to their house to eat. So I thought, this is fantastic. So a Jewish guy from Israel. So I got there, and we talked, and his wife said to me, she said, I don't understand the Bible. And she said, can you tell me what Isaiah 53 is all about? Most of you know Isaiah 53. And so I started to explain about the Messiah. And so Abishai sitting there and his wife sitting there. And then she started asking about Jesus. So I started talking about Jesus. And, of course, he picked up his newspaper. And he did just like that. And he held it up the whole time. Now, I think he was listening, but he didn't want me to think he was listening. So I got to tell them about Christ. As far as I know, I don't know if they ever trusted Christ. But it's amazing to talk to a Jewish person. And then when I was in seminary, I flew back and forth every Friday. I would fly from Dallas to Amarillo and then go to Border, Texas. And then on Monday, I'd get back in Amarillo, fly back to Dallas. I remember one, one time, and I've told you this story before, but I got on the airplane and I always sit there and, and this is flying to Amarillo from Dallas. And I was sitting by this little older lady and I was trying to learn Hebrew. And so we were studying the book of Ruth and it was all in Hebrew. And so I was trying to translate it in my mouth, I was trying to read it. And she said, that's Hebrew. And I went, yes, it is. <laughs> you know, she said, "Are you Jewish?" I went, "No, no, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm trying to learn Hebrew." She said, "I'm Jewish." I said, "Oh, good." She said, "I'm Mrs. Fepperman. Her name was Mrs. Fepperman, and she owned about four or five West Cowboy Western stores in Amarillo. And so I said, "Wow!" And she said, um, "So you you study this?" I said, "Well, I'm trying." I said, "I don't know the Hebrew very well." She said. I wish I could have faith like you. That's what she said. And I said, well, Ms. Feverman, let me ask you a question. So what do you believe about Jesus? And she said, I don't believe anything about Jesus. Here's what I said. I said, would you be willing to go to the, to, to the Tanakh? That's their Bible. You don't say Old Testament. Say Tanakh. Would you be willing to look through the Tanakh and see if all the promises about the Messiah, see if Jesus fit those promises? And she said, No. No, I'm not willing. And then she started crying. And she said, I wish I could have faith like you. I said, "Miss Pepperman, you could if you just look through the Bible and see that Jesus is the Messiah. This morning, the reason I brought that up is we're going to see that Jesus sends out the 12 apostles, and he sends them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He sends them only to Jewish people. Now, I'll talk more about it as we get through it. But in the whole book of Matthew, that's all he goes to. He's presenting himself as the king of the Jews. And so as we look at Jesus sending out these 12 men, and there's something that when we talk about Jesus sending out the 12 and he gives them power and everything, I'm going to bring up something you might not have thought about as he sends these 12 out. We'll see it as we go through it. So Jesus is sending them out to tell them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is here. The king is here. Now, what we've seen is his power, and that's part of the thing. He's done these miracles, and we've already seen that when he does the miracles, some of the religious leaders who don't like him, they immediately say he's doing his miracles by the power of Satan because they can't deny the miracles. I mean, people who can't see can see, and people who, you know, he's raising the dead, he's forgiving sins, he's doing all that. And, and so they, they make fun of him, and they, they don't want to admit it. Uh, but as we look at this, he's going to send his 12 out to the Jewish People. Let me give you the outline of the study. We're calling this the call of the apostles, verses 1 through 4. And then we're going to see the responsibility of the apostles. They go to the law sheep of the house of Israel. They take a gospel message. We'll talk about what it is. Uh, they, they've got to trust God as they do this. And we're going to see what the response will be when they go. So let's do this. Let's look at the call of the disciples and, and look, at, look at verse 1. It says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits. To cast them out and to heal every kind of sickness and disease and, and all of that. Now, that's what he does. Now, these men were called disciples. And let me make something perfectly clear. A disciple is one who not only has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, but has chosen to live for Christ. Now, remember, a believer, being a believer costs us nothing. Jesus Christ came to the earth. He died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, and he offers the gift of eternal life. It's called a gift because It's free. That's why the Bible says God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever does what? believes in him, will never perish, but have eternal life. So being a believer costs us nothing. I hope that every one of you in this room, that you have put your faith in Christ to give you eternal life. It's not. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a gift, and it's called eternal life. Now, being a disciple costs us, because a disciple says, not only have I trusted Christ, and I know I'm going to heaven, and I have eternal life, but I am choosing, I am deciding that I will follow Jesus, that I will live for Jesus, that my life will count for him. So a disciple costs us, and, and those who have trusted Christ, Christ, we choose to live for him. And there are a lot of people who are believers, but there are not a whole lot of disciples. People who say, I want my life to count for Christ. And so that's what we see. These people are called disciples. Now, we're going to uh, clarify something in just a minute. In Luke chapter 6, uh, he went up, spent the whole night in prayer before sending these guys out. Now, our goal is our church is to make disciples, which involves leading people to Christ, that's evangelism, and then training them and equipping them, that's discipleship. So when, and so when we say what's the purpose of our church, it's not just to lead people to Christ, that's what we love to do, but it's also to take people who have trusted Christ and then train them and equip them so they can do the same thing. Now, what we notice is, look what this says. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He gave them power and authority. And this is, this is a key because he, the authority means that they, they have the right that they can go out and they can heal people and they can cast out demons. These 12 men, okay? He's going to send them out. Now, I'm going to talk about the list, but let me raise a question. You already know that the 12 men. Let me do this. Let's go through them, and then we're going to talk about this last one, okay? Because I think this is a key. And we're going to see the names. Look what he says. Now, the names of the 12, and notice he changes. He doesn't just say disciples here. He now says apostles. The, the word apostle is apostolos in Greek, which means one sent forth with authority. They're called apostles of Jesus Christ, and they went out in the same authority as Jesus now, some people want to be called apostles today, but the apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church. There aren't any more apostles today. In fact, the 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 thing that the apostles do is they could do the sign gifts. They could heal people. They could raise people from the dead. They did that to authenticate the message. And one of the requirements to being an apostle was to have seen the risen Christ. Now, the, at this point, they ha- he hadn't died and rose again, but we're going to see that a little bit later. After he dies, rise again. these. There's 11 of them, and we'll get more into it. He's calling them apostles at this point. Now, we're not apostles, but we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors. We get to represent Christ. We don't have the same authority. They had the same authority as Jesus, they could heal the sick, raise the dead, they could do everything. Our authority is the scripture. When we go out, we go out with the word of God and tell them the truths of the Bible. Now, let's look at Mark tells us that they sent him out two by two. And so the very first is Simon and Andrew. So let me read it. So the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who's called Peter, that's Simon Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So let's me look. let look at them and talk about them for just a second. I'll go quickly because I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time. We all know who Peter is. Simon Peter, was. he's called the Rock. His name was Simon. Jesus called him Petros, which means little rock. And so he was called Rocky. He wrote two letters in the New Testament. He was a fisherman. He was in inner circle with jesus the inner circle with peter james and john they got to see jesus raise the 12 year old they got to be with jesus uh, uh, in the garden they got they, so they've done all kind of things they were this his represent really close and so simon peter and he was actually the leader when you when you get down to it after jesus died and rose again peter seems to take the leadership peter actually walked on the water do you remember that when jesus was walking on the water and peter was in the boat and jesus said don't be afraid it's me and he said if it's really me command me to come out and jesus said Come out, and Peter walked on the water, so this Peter is an amazing person, And we all say, Oh, yeah, but he denied Jesus. Yeah, he did. He did, but that's not how it ended. And many of us deny him every day. See to deny him is to say, oh, well, you know I'm not living for him, I'm not doing what he wants me to do. And so Peter is an amazing man. Now, then there's Andrew, his brother. Andrew is sort of the quiet one. Peter is the one that talks all the time and everybody sometimes has to say, Peter, would you shut up for a minute? Nobody else can say anything. But Andrew was the guy that was, he was amazing. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. He also is the one that brought Peter to Jesus. He went and found his brother and said, we found the Messiah. And he brought Peter to Jesus. So Andrew was amazing. He was always bringing somebody. If you remember the guy, when everybody says, how are we going to feed these 5,000 men, not counting the women and children? It's Andrew who said, well, I found this little boy over here. He's got five loaves and two fish. That's Andrew. And then we've got James and John. They were brothers. Notice he goes on and says, James and John. uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Now, James and John were wealthy. Their daddy owned uh, a number of shipping boats. And when Jesus called him, they left the boats and the hired hands, and they left. Now, James is amazing. There's not a whole lot about him, because he, he's called son of thunder, because he had a temper. And yet he was the first of the apostles killed, Uh In Acts chapter 11, 12, in there, uh, he got his head cut off by Herod, and so he was the first one to die. When we think of John, when I think of John, I just, he's just amazing. He wrote five books in the New Testament. He's called the Apostle of Love. His nickname was also called Biongeries, which means thunder. He had a temper, but as he got older, he said, love one another. He wrote one of the greatest books of all, which is the Gospel of John, which presents Jesus Christ and shows that when you believe in him you have eternal life 98 times in the gospel of John he says salvation is by faith in Christ he wrote the book of Revelation because of his stand for Jesus Christ they put him out on an island island of Patmos and he got the revelation he is an incredible person he probably was the youngest of the disciples he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. (laughs) How would you like, would you like to call your, yeah, I'm the one Jesus loved. But that's what he was. He was the closest, probably the youngest and he lived the longest. He lived up to 95. He wrote the the book of Revelation in 95 and then uh, he died. And then we got two more and we got uh, Philip and Bartholomew. Bartholomew, we don't know a lot about Philip, uh, he was from the same place as Peter and Andrew. And uh, he brought a guy by the name of Nathaniel and Bartholomew. Uh, but we, we don't know a whole lot about him. We think that's his other name is Nathaniel. So Philip and Bartholomew kind of went together. And the best we can tell, they're going to send them out by two. So the way they're listed here is the way that he sent them out. And then we got two more. That's called Thomas, which his name is Didymus, which means twin. And Matthew, was, uh, the other name was called Levi, now, everybody says Thomas was a doubter, you know, because they call him doubting Thomas, because after Jesus rose from the grave, Thomas didn't see it. They came to Thomas and said, we saw Jesus. He said, I did not believe it unless I touch him. I mean, and you know, we might feel the same way. And if you ever thought about this, you're going to go out and you're going to tell everybody Jesus raised from the dead and everybody else, you know, saw it and you didn't, you didn't see him. And you want to say, uh, I'm going out and telling people he's raised from the dead, but I didn't see it. And so I think that was, I, I think that we all doubt some too. And, uh, He's famous for that. Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. His name is Levi. He was probably of the tribe of Levi. Uh, he gave up a lot. When Jesus called him, he left a, a business. A tax collectors made a lot of money because they took money. And, and he left and uh, went with Jesus. And then we got two other people uh, here, his name, James and Thaddeus. And all we have is their listing. James is called, in some places, James the Less. Now, it could be James the Less because he was shorter than the other James which I don't like that. But anyway, that's what they may have been. Or the less may have been that he was the younger one. He was younger than the other James, and that's why they called him James the less. This guy's named Thaddeus, but his other name is Judas. He was Judas Thaddeus. Uh, Judas, until Judas, Judas was not a bad name. comes from Jude, Judah. It's a good name. But uh, his name was Judas Thaddeus, but most of the time they called him Thaddeus. And then last but not least, there's two, two guys, Simon and Judas. He was Simon uh, who was called Simon the Zealot. He's listed there as Simon the Zealot. What what does that mean? Simon the Zealot. Well, zealots were people who hated the Romans and hated any Jews that had anything to do with Romans. So Simon would not like Matthew since Matthew worked with the Romans. But Jesus brought them all together. And then the last person is Judas. And he's called the betrayer. In fact, if you read it, it says, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who, who betrayed him. Iscariot literally means one from Cariot. Cariot was a little town. And so when it says his Keriot, it's saying Judas from Keriot. From That's all it that means. It's not a, not a weird last name or anything. Now I want you to think about something. He sent how many out to do this? How many? Twelve. That includes who? Judas. Did Judas cast out demons? Did Judas raise the sick and raise the dead? Did Judas have this power? Yeah. Was he a believer? Answer is, no, he was not. Can, some people say, well, if you're not a believer, you can't do it. God can take anybody and use anybody he wants to in any way he wants to. He raised up Pharaoh to demonstrate his power. He used Cornelius, an unbeliever, to bring Peter in there to get the message to the Gentiles. So just because, just an amazing thing to think that they go out, all 12 of them, and one of them is not a believer. Amazing truths. If you lived at that time and you said, let's pick 12 guys to be the representative of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't pick those 12 guys. None of them were educated. They were fishermen. They were poor, except for James and John, and maybe Judas. We don't know about much about him. But you wouldn't pick them. But God t- used them to go out the world. And let me just say this. Look who God picked to take the message now. Us. We look around and we go, well, none of us are, I mean, really anything, any important. I mean, we're just normal old people, and we just love Jesus. And he says, okay. Go tell people, I'm using you to take the message into this community. That's who we are. Well, from there, let's look, and we'll go quick. Let's look at the responsibility of the apostles. And that's going to start in verse 5. And, and, and look what he says. They're going to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Look at verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles. In other words, don't go to the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Don't go to the Samaritans. But rather go to the lost sheep of of the house of Israel. Now, that's who they take the message to. He sends them out instructions. Mark says he sends them out two by two. And by the way, the ministry's never long-ranger. You're not in ministry by yourself, ever. You're in ministry with this body, this local body with the different people of different gifts, talents, and abilities. We're all in this thing together. You're not by yourself, and you shouldn't even try to do ministry by yourself. You should connect with others, and let's do this, the body of Christ. Notice he didn't send them to the Gentiles, which, that's us. Most of us. And then he sent them not to Samaritans. And most of you know the Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile. They were half breeds. That's how they looked at them. And the Jewish people didn't want to have anything to do with the, with the Samaritans. But Jesus doesn't say, go to the Gentiles, go to the Samaritans. He actually says, don't go to the Samaritans, don't go to the Gentiles. Why? Because he's sending them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They're going to the Jews. Why? Because he's the king of the Jews. That's who he is. They're sending him to the Jews. Listen, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, and I talked about this last week, all the way through, Jesus is going to the nation of Israel, offered himself as king. Toward the end, they reject him as being the king of the Jews. They kill him. He rises from the dead, walks on the earth for 40 days. And at the end, he says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the first time he says all nations. Because the Gospel of Matthew shows Jesus going to the Jews to be the king of the Jews. Just remember that when you study it. So, and, 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 of course, the idea of taking the message to the Jews, that's not foreign to us. Paul said the message was to the Jew first and also to the Greek So they're supposed to go, and they go this way. And notice it says, as you go, this is verse 7, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. So they go with a message. We call it the gospel, but it's a twofold aspect. It's spiritual and physical. There's a spiritual message, and look what he says. Preach. And go and preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is on the earth. When he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying, the kingdom's here. The Messiah is here. The king is here. If you accept me as the Messiah and savior and king, the kingdom will be here. That's what he's actually offering to them, the kingdom. Now, they didn't do it. And the kingdom is in the future now, but it it could have been even then he was offering it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he did. Because why? The king is on the earth, so they're sent out. But then there's a physical aspect to it. and He meets physical needs. Look again at verse 8. Look at the miraculous power. He says, you'll heal the sick, you'll raise the dead, you'll cleanse the lepers, you'll cast out the demons. Freely you receive, freely give. And so he does. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. They're going with his exact power. Now that is an amazing thing because Jesus Christ is God and God forgives sin and God raises the dead and God heals and God... And he has given these 12 men the same authority to do what he does because they're representing him. And don't you think, how many tribes of Israel were there by the way? How many? 12. How many men does he send out? 12. There's a reason for that. He's going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And see, sometimes now, because if you remember, when the church started, uh, when, uh, after Jesus died and rose again, the church started, it was almost all Jewish. And then, then they began to spread and begin to tell Gentiles, and then Jews began to reject. And then as throughout history, the Jewish people, as Paul says in Romans, a hardening has come upon them. And as a, as a people group, they're not believing in the Messiah. But the first part of the church were all Jewish, mostly all Jewish. Now it's mostly all Gentile. And we think, oh, yeah, we're, we are we got to go out, but we don't go to the Jews. We should go to the Jews first. That's what Paul said, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice the end of verse 8 when he says, freely you receive, freely give. Freely given, freely give. What is that? Salvation. He's talking about the message. He said, you've been given this message freely. By grace, you're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So when you go with the message, tell others. We get, we freely tell others the grace message. You know that most people don't understand grace. You know that. I and mean, you may think they do. You may think everybody believes just like you do. They don't. You can tell people, and you say, oh, I believe in the grace of God and that salvation is a gift. And they'll say, oh, I do too. But you've got to repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, walk down and I'll make him Lord of your life and get baptized. So they add 10 things to it. Salvation is a gift. By faith alone and Christ alone, it's not anything we do. If it's something we do, it's not a gift. And we've got to be very clear. Most people don't grasp it. We get to tell people the grace message of salvation. We get to do it. He sends them out to proclaim the message and to meet needs. Uh, You know, we, we get to go out. Now, we don't do what they did. We don't have that authority. But we can help people and help meet needs. Now, he says something. And watch this part. They've got to trust God as they go out to do this. Look what it says. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money wells. He said, don't come up with a bunch of money. You're not going out with money. Or a bag for your journey. I'll talk about what that is in a second. Or two coats or sandals or a staff for the workers worthy of us." heart. He said, you have to trust me when you go out. You're going out with nothing. You're going out to villages and towns. You're going to the Jews and you're not going with a bunch of money. You're not going with two or three coats. You're not going even with a staff. You're not going with all these things because you're going to have to trust me. And this is what he's saying. You don't get wrapped up in the things of this world. You have a job to do. And he says, don't acquire all this stuff. Go on and and trust me, it is so easy to get sidetracked. I can still remember. Listen, I went to Dallas Seminary in 1981. I went there 81 to 85. You're supposed to, back in those days. You tried to get out in four years, most people four to four and a half years. Nowadays, some people are taking six years. But when I was there, there were guys that came to seminary, started seminary, got some kind of part-time job, got so tied up in the full, uh, the part-time job that they almost quit seminary. I have a friend that took him almost nine years to go through seminary because he got tied up in a job that he liked. And I wanted to say to him, why don't you either do one or the other, Okay. Just do the job and, and lead people to Christ. And you don't have to go to seminary to be a, uh, you know, but if you're going to go to seminary and want to be a pastor, you know, it's so easy to get tied up into stuff. And he says, don't get tied up into the stuff. Notice verse 10 where he says, are a bag for your journey. I, I read that a long time and I never even looked at it. I thought, bag for your journey. Don't, you know what that word? There was, there was a thing called a beggar's bag. That when you went out and if you didn't have anything, you had a bag, and it was called a beggar's bag, and you kind of went like this. Anybody want to give me something? He said, don't take a beggar's bag. You're not out there begging. You're not begging for anything. You're not taking anything extra. You're going to have to trust me because the worker is worthy of his support. When you go to the right people, they will provide as you go with the message. And so let's see quickly the response what happened when he goes out there? Here's what he says. And whatever, this is verse 11. Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who's worthy in it and stay at the house until you leave the city. Now when he says inquire who's worthy, he's basically saying find out if there's believers there, if there's people who believe in the coming Messiah or people who've already trusted in Jesus because a lot of people had trusted in Jesus. I, I, wanna, I want you to, to think about something. In the Gospel of John, there are like six to eight places where believers are called secret believers and secret disciples there are a whole bunch of people at this time that were actually believers in Christ but they didn't tell anybody because they were afraid even some of the religious leaders wouldn't tell people because they as it says in the Bible they like the praise of men more than the praise of God and so, when he says, find somebody worthy, he's saying, if you find somebody that's a believer, and he says, as you enter the house, give them your greeting. The greeting is, I come in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the King. If the house is worthy, if they believe, then give it your blessing, yay. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing. You could say, sorry, I came. Okay, you know, whatever. And then he says, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. The worthy is to believe the message and to remain and help, and they will help you in the ministry. That's why you don't have to take anything, because they're going to help you in ministry. But the unworthy are the ones who don't believe the message. You don't stay with them. He says you don't do that. You go out, you don't... Basically, you know what he's saying? Don't get things from unbelievers. That's what he's really saying. Don't expect unbelievers to meet your needs. Expect the believers to meet your needs. And he says this part right there. He says... Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of the house of that or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Well, that is a that's a kind of a powerful thing. It's a picture of being saying, "I'm not responsible. You're rejecting. I'm not connected with you," and it's basically saying, "I have no part with you." If you if you reject the Messiah and the King, we don't have a part with you, and they leave. That's what they do. And you know, there are times that when we share our faith and people continually reject, all you can say is. You know, I'm sorry, but, I mean, that's all I can do. I've told you about Jesus. If you're not going to believe, that's between you and God. And that's what he says. Now, this last verse is a little bit hard. Look what it says. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, listen to what he said. He said, if you go to a Jewish city and they reject you, it's going to be worse for that city... Than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah when the judgment comes. Now you know that unbelievers will stand before Jesus Christ at what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. They're not judged for their their sins. Sin has already been wiped away that Jesus paid for it. But they'll stand there, and there's a, there is an aspect of of separation and discipline. And there's a, a I'll just throw this out. There is a thought: Is there are there levels of punishment and separation from God? That's a question. Because Jesus says something like, it'll be more tolerable on that day than these people. And so it seems like there's levels of separation from God. Now, I've always said to myself, if you're thrown in the lake of fire and you're separated, how much worse could that get, right? But there has to be something the way Jesus brings up, it'll be worse for them than them. I, I don't understand it. They don't give us enough information. And maybe when we get there at the great white throne judgment and we see what Jesus does, we'll go, okay. But here's what I want you to remember, that the reason a person doesn't go to heaven and the reason that a person is going to be in the lake of fire is not because they're sinful. Everybody's sinful. Everybody's come short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ has died for everyone's sin. So sin's not the issue. The issue is faith. Will a person put their faith in Christ to give them eternal life? And whoever believes in him will never perish but have what? Everlasting life. So the real issue for all people is not how bad they are and to clean up their life. It is what will you do with Jesus? Will you put your faith in him? Or reject him. That's what it boils down to. And those who reject Jesus Christ will be judged, and this results in separation from God forever. So he says, Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Wow, it's powerful. Let me give you some applications, okay? Quickly. Let's be faithful as ambassadors for Christ. Let's think about it. Let's be faithful as ambassadors for Christ. And and think about this. We're God's representatives. We have the greatest privilege of all. Just as those 12 were sent out, we are the church, the body of Christ. We're different. We're the body of Christ. Jews and Gentiles in one body. We get to go with the message and we have the great privilege and responsibility to take that message. So you, you and me, we're the representatives of Jesus Christ. I got to talk, uh, I got to share my faith with somebody just the other day, and, you know, it's always a scary feeling, and you think, should I bring this up? And, and of course, I said, I should bring this up. I should. And and we should bring it up. We should talk to people, right? Second, just remember, freely given to us is salvation. That's eternal life, and it must be freely given. When you talk to people, don't add works to it. I was uh, at a party yesterday, a uh, uh, child's party and I talked to the dad there and we started talking and he's he's just like us He said, oh, yeah, salvation is grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. There's no works whatsoever. When I started talking, I said, it's really unusual to find somebody like you. He said, I know, I I can't find anybody, you know, I reading books and stuff. And it's amazing, because when you really get down to it, not many people understand the grace message of salvation, faith alone, Christ alone, for eternal life. The third thing is we need to minister to all people, Matthew 28. We're We're not just sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We're sent to every person. Our goal is to make disciples, leading to Christ, and training them, equipping them. And just remember, be ready. Some will believe, and some will not believe. He said, you'll go to a city, he told them, and some people, will, they'll, be, they'll be worthy, and some people be unworthy. And you've you got you to gotta understand that. So, great stuff. Finally, let's not get tied up with the things of this world, because he says, don't take all this stuff, and be real careful. Sometimes we're afraid. We're afraid we're not going to make it. We're afraid that God's not going to provide. We're afraid we won't have enough. We're going to have to trust him. He provides every need that we have. Trust God as we go with this message of salvation. And the second thing, be careful. Don't get tied up in materialism. It is so easy to love the things of this world. And you remember way back in chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus said you can't love God and money at the same time. You can only love one. You'll love one and hate the other one. And it's so easy to get tied up in the things of this world.